Hello, and welcome to the Full Circle Podcast, your source for insights into the science and art of endurance sports training and racing. I'm your host, Coach Laura Henry. In this episode, we are going to dive into a cornerstone of endurance sports training plan writing, periodization. Where do you start when you're writing a training plan or planning out your workouts? Periodization provides an established and solid framework from which to plan training. Whether you realize this or not, almost all training plans, whether they are individualized or whether they are pre-written, are based on periodization. According to the National Academy of Sports Medicine, also known as NASM or NASM, Periodization requires the application of planned phase changes and cycles in programming to drive the physical and metabolic adaptations to improve performance. This is a fancy way of saying that periodization is what enables athletes to make the physical gains that are necessary to reach their goals. Over the years, many coaches and industry experts have come up with different variations of periodization. That being said, the goal of all of these variations is the same to implement a process that helps athletes be their best. In my work as an endurance sports coach, I generally implement one of two types of periodization, linear periodization and non-linear periodization. Both of these types of periodization work backwards from some point, usually an A goal or a priority goal event or race to plan an athlete's training. Strictly speaking, linear periodization keeps major training stimuli, such as aerobic, anaerobic, strength, and speed, largely separated from each other. The training process is arranged in a line hence the name linear, in which each stimulus is worked on, and then it gives way to the next one. So, for instance, an athlete would work on aerobic system development for a training cycle, and then progress to anaerobic system development for the next training cycle. A training cycle can last anywhere from 4 to 16 weeks, depending on what is being worked on. In addition, total volume progresses in a line, meaning that athletes start off with lower volume in the early cycles of training, and then they progressively build to higher volumes as they get closer to the point that's being worked backwards from, which, as previously mentioned, is usually an A or priority goal race. Non-linear periodization mixes together the various training stimuli throughout a training cycle. Thus, compared with linear periodization, it does not progress in a line, hence the term non-linear, Athletes will work on develop aerobic endurance, strength, and speed and power all of the time instead of in isolated training cycles that are kept apart from each other. In addition, nonlinear periodization generally keeps volume at a relatively similar level all the time. It's not exactly the same, but it tends to be more consistent in terms of how much volume. Over 10 years into my career as an endurance coach, I can say that I currently deploy a modified version of linear periodization for almost all age group athletes who I work with. The reason for this is honestly simple. Most age group athletes lead incredibly busy lives, and they have more things going on in their lives that are important to them than just sport and training. In order to effectively manage the load to capacity ratio in their training, it is best to implement progressive overload, which means that we're applying training slowly over time. Load to capacity ratio is this. Every athlete has a finite capacity for how much work they can do. This is not how much work the athlete wishes they could do. This is how much work they actually can do, whether it's a mechanical capacity 
a mental capacity, a temporal capacity, or a combination of everything. And most commonly, it's actually a combination of everything. Every athlete has a finite capacity. We want to make sure that the load we are imposing in training is less than the athlete's finite capacity for training. If we exceed capacity, that is what causes injury. This is almost always the recipe that gets people injured. It's almost always the thing that athletes will mismanage if they are left to their own devices. So the volume and intensity progression that linear periodization implements is the style of training that most athletes can tolerate best because it tends to keep that load to capacity ratio where it needs to be. And over time, it can build or help to build the athlete's capacity for training. That being said, the modification to linear periodization that I have started implementing after accumulating years of experience as a coach is that I do not always segregate the training stimuli. So there's definitely a need to establish a base of training for all athletes. And this is especially true when athletes are new or if athletes are coming back from injury or illness or a period of inactivity. That being said, once an athlete has been consistent for enough time, I have seen that there is risk in only doing aerobic work, then only doing anaerobic work, then only doing speed work, and then only doing work that focuses on building power. I have observed that mixing the stimuli within a training week and or a training cycle keeps the muscles and joints and soft tissues well adapted to the stress of training, and this helps minimize injury risk. While all of this is true for athletes of all ages, It is especially true for master's athletes or those athletes who are 50 or more years old. There are times when nonlinear periodization may actually be the most appropriate choice, and there have been times over the years when I have implemented it for some athletes. Because it incorporates so many stimuli all of the time, it can keep athletes in a more quote-unquote race-ready shape throughout a higher percentage of the year, and thus it can be a very effective way to train for athletes who do not have as much control over their race calendar and who have a lot of time resources to train and to recover with. This is mostly for elite and professional athletes. Thus, I have most commonly deployed nonlinear periodization when I'm writing training for elite athletes. They are the ones who can typically handle it. They are the ones who typically have the time resources to be able to do this. This is really critical. However, because high-intensity training is always present throughout nonlinear periodization training plans, nonlinear periodization carries a greater risk of overtraining and injury than when compared with linear periodization. This is especially true for age group athletes since they are so busy and therefore often do not or cannot but more often it's do not, give recovery proper priority, let alone enough priority for nonlinear periodization to actually be successful. Additionally, in nonlinear periodization, there isn't as much distinction between phases of training like there is in linear periodization. This can make it difficult to accurately peak for and therefore perform well in races that are important to an athlete. It's not impossible, it's just difficult, and thus it really needs to be carefully and thoughtfully implemented. And that's why it's most commonly implemented with people who have sufficient time resources, who don't have as much control over the racing calendar. Elites typically don't. They might have the races set for them if they're participating in a series such as World Triathlon. And so because of all that, it really needs to be thoughtfully deployed. Training phases sometimes can be confusing or you know, not really understood by athletes. So I think it's important to kind of dive into these. In almost all cases, I use the following types of training phases or blocks. 
base phase, build phase, competition phase, sometimes, peak phase for A races, taper phase for A races, maintenance phase. All of these phases or blocks are also known as mesocycles. A mesocycle is a three to six week block of time of training within a macro cycle. A macro cycle is your season training plan. It is the outline of your training for an entire year. It is comprised of many mesocycles and microcycles. Generally, a macro cycle is anywhere from 26 to 52 weeks long, anywhere from six to 12 months up to a year. A micro cycle is the simplest element of these three that I've outlined. A micro cycle is a single week or a block of days within a training plan. There are different variations of this, but the most commonly utilized is a seven day period of time since the rest of the world tends to work on a seven day period of time. So again, unless you have the proper time resources or a lot of flexibility in your scheduling, you're probably going to be following microcycles of seven days. Base phase is the foundation of your training. This is the phase that sets up your ability to complete more specific training down the line. Without consistent consistency in base phase, it is unsafe to progress fully into subsequent training phases. This is where now impacts what you can do later. Aerobic development is one of the main objectives of this phase. For newer athletes, establishing a pattern of consistency is also a main objective. Nothing, and I mean nothing, folks, is more important than consistent consistency. You need to be consistent with what you're doing over a long period of time if you want to be successful. Base phase can last a long time, but most commonly, it lasts anywhere from 12 to 20 weeks. We start to train the GI system during this time, the gastrointestinal system, and we also lay down foundational keystone habits such as sleep, recovery, workout fueling. Here's a note, folks. Fueling and nutrition are not the same thing, but that's a different podcast for a different day. Hydration and daily nutrition. After base phase is build phase. In build phase, key sessions, key workouts start to include specific race day actions. How training is planned in this phase is specific to the type of A race that is being targeted that we're working backwards from when we're planning the overall macro cycle of training. Furthermore, training is planned based on the limiters that a given athlete has. So these limiters generate some of the specificity that is needed on race day for a particular athlete. We do not neglect the strengths of the athlete during this time. We actually work to leverage those so that they stay maintained to help offset any limiters. It's very easy to fall into the trap one way or the other of focusing too much on what you're good at or what you like doing or focusing too much on what you're weakest at doing or don't like doing. We want to have balance here. If there isn't a race on an athlete's calendar, build phase is a phase when athletes can work on specific skills and objectives that are good as all around skills. Volume can increase during this time, training volume, but it can also be maintained or stay the same as it was in base phase. Often, we are aiming to build additional tissue resilience, muscular strength, and mental strength in build phase. Build phase can be long, but most often, it lasts anywhere from 8 to 14 weeks. After build phase is competition phase. Competition phase has a greater emphasis on race day specific intensity. It also has a greater emphasis on race day tactics, such as pacing and nutrition. For triathletes, this would also include on-bike nutrition and transitions. Competition phase can last anywhere from two to four weeks long. 
this phase, along with peak phase, is a critically important phase if it's being utilized. Mistakes here or missing training and competition phase will have a direct impact on how race day goes. Not might, it will. Competition phase is most often deployed when there's an A race in play. So if there are other races on an athlete's calendar that aren't as important, competition phase isn't going to be leveraged in the preparation for those events. Competition phase is all about getting that specificity in play or training that specificity to help set up for success at the A race, at the goal race, at the big event. After either build phase or competition phase, depending on how the plan is structured, is peak phase. Peak phase is the phase that caps off all of the work that the athlete has done in the phases that came before it. Nothing new should be being tried now. Peak phase is effectively the final dress rehearsal. If you are trying new things in peak phase, Here's the hard truth. You didn't try them early enough. Peak phase is also the highest volume phase. It's also the highest intensity as well. For this reason, most age group athletes cannot tolerate more than 14 days in peak phase, and it can actually be shorter than that. It can be seven to 10 days long in total. That higher intensity, that higher volume, the fact that this is the culmination of a very long, many months of training... This means that athletes are notoriously cranky during peak phase. So if you feel tired, cranky, like you don't have a life, these are all very normal things to be feeling in peak phase. That being said, along with competition phase, peak phase is critically important. Mistakes made in the planning, the timing, or the execution of peak phase will have a direct impact on how race day goes. Again, not might have an impact, it will have an impact. Missing training here, not completing it, all of that will impact how race day goes. After peak phase, we have taper phase. During taper phase, we reduce overall training volume first, and then we back off on intensity as we move through the phase. 10 days out from race day is the last possible day a workout can cause adaptations that will be in place by race day. This is because it takes this long, 10 days, for the mitochondria in our cells to adapt to the stimulus we impose on them in training. So hear me out, folks. There is nothing, nothing that you can do in a workout within the final 10 days before your race that is going to make you more ready. However, what you can do is impair your readiness for the race if you mismanage taper phase, if you do too much volume, if you do too much intensity, if you mistime rest, if you mistime different types of workouts, if you mistime volume relative to race day. So for this reason, taper phase, while it seems very gentle and very innocuous, it's actually very important to get right because taper phase is what really rounds out the training, I guess we'll say. It's what really brings everything together so that the athlete is set up for the best performance possible on a race day, exactly on a race day. How long taper phase lasts depends on a variety of factors, such as the distance of the race, the priority of the event, and the athlete's fitness level. But it will always be at least 10 days long, and it may be up to about 21 days long. Maintenance phase is the last phase in a season. 
Maintenance phase is used as a break from the other training cycles and as a way to resensitize the body to the volume and intensity that is required to make gains during the main season. Regressions in fitness and changes in body composition are expected during this time. It is impossible, hear me, impossible to maintain fitness and body composition all of the time. Athletes do not need to be and should not be as specific as they are in the other training cycles. One of the most important tenets of maintenance phase is to keep moving just at a lower volume, intensity, and with less specificity than during the main season. A tempting thing for athletes to do is to take a complete break from training, but this can actually cause too much regression. Structure or coaching can actually be really valuable in maintenance phase because we want to hit that sweet spot of unloading fatigue and fitness while maintaining enough fitness and skill to make progress in the coming season. And this is very individualized. So this is where we really need to be careful and we need to be thoughtful in how we manage it. If the athlete was not consistent in the main season, maintenance phase may need to be utilized to establish consistent consistency before base phase begins. Because again, consistent consistency is the most important thing. There is nothing more important than being consistent. Once maintenance phase is over, we start back right at base phase and the cycle goes on. All of these training phases and blocks are most clearly defined and seen in linear periodization. When I'm writing training, I progressively build volume and intensity up over each phase of training, and the specificity of what we're doing also increases with each phase, with competition and peak phases being the most sport or race-specific phases of training. For most athletes, I'll write out two to three weeks of quote-unquote up training when we are progressively building volume and or intensity, and then I'll follow it with a down quote-unquote recovery week that is less than what we just did in the previous two to three weeks. The growth equation is stress plus rest equals growth. What this means is that recovery weeks are important so that the body can adapt to the stimulus that was imposed on it in the up weeks. We don't get adaptation without recovery. We can't just keep imposing stress over and over and more and more. We need to recover so that we can impose stress later on to get our desired adaptations. Over time, these training cycles layer on each other and they build race and sport specific skills that have an athlete prepared to race their best for their goal event. The traditional models of linear periodization most often call for a model where three up weeks are planned, followed by one down week. Over the last several years, I've observed that this formula is not the most effective. Most age group and para-athletes have enough total life stress and accumulated fatigue by week three that the third week is not really a training week of sufficient quality. And what this means is that because it's less quality, we're not imposing the appropriate stimulus or the appropriate amount of stimulus for adaptation. Remember, really listen. The entire point of doing workouts and doing training is to elicit desired adaptations over time. Anything that works against this is a problem. Anything that works against this can honestly make it not worth doing workouts since it can be that it's actually working against us enough that it pushes the athlete back more than it propels them forward. In that third week, I've seen that the quality of the workout is decreased enough that it increases the risk of injury and burnout for the athlete. The body breaks down when all of this is in play. Rather than fighting this, I've learned to work with it. That's a good life lesson for more than just training folks. And this is why I plan for a recovery week after two weeks for a lot of age group and para-athletes. This is a very solid strategy for master's athletes as well. Again, the 50 plus crowd, I see you, who really need more recovery time than their younger counterparts. 
And this is true no matter how young you all might feel mentally. Remember, the best training plan works with the truths and realities of what is going on in your life, even if those truths and realities aren't what you wish were true. Reading a book, scanning an article, and or going through a coaching certification course to learn about these types of training philosophies is one thing. Implementing them is quite another. It took me many years of implementing these styles of training for hundreds of athletes to see what actually works for athletes and what doesn't. Trying to figure this out for oneself can be very overwhelming, and it's one of the reasons why even I, an endurance coach, prefer working with another coach for my own training. Working with a coaching partner or following a training plan will properly and effectively implement periodization to effectively manage your training load and intensity so that you can reduce your chance of injury, be strong, and achieve any and all goals you set out to. That was another episode of the Full Circle Podcast. Subscribe to the Full Circle Podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you listen to, please be sure to leave us a rating and review as this goes a long way in helping us reach others. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Full Circle Podcast are those of the individual. As always, we love to hear from you and we value your feedback. Please send us an email at podcast at fullcircleendurance.com or visit us at fullcircleendurance.com backslash podcast. To find training plans, see what other coaching services we offer, or to join our community, please visit fullcircleendurance.com. I'm Coach Laura Henry. Thanks for listening.